Well, hello, this is Rob Carmichael again with another Mainly Matters podcast. Today I have as my guest, Mike Archer, longtime athletic director, former coach, teacher at uh, Orono High School for many years. And we're going to get into the background of a high school athletic director and all things athletics and, and what goes on in that business. So welcome, Mike. Uh, happy to have you today. Thanks, Rob. And thanks for uh, having me. This is a great opportunity. Well, you you are uh, you one of the faces of ads, uh, familiar faces of ads in the community, very involved, and we'll talk a lot about that. But one of the things I, I had, as I mentioned to you, I interviewed Blake James, a Power Five uh, ad at the time. He was with Miami. He's now with Boston College, and got a sense of the athletic director business at at that level. And I got thinking as I was uh, looking for for guests and, and leaders in the community. And I thought, wow, what it would be great because I know as a son of a former athletic director, uh, how busy and what an, an enormous job that is as a leader at, at that level. So I'm really interested. And I think our listeners will be interested to hear about your business, how you got into it and all those things that surround high school athletics today. And I know it's the landscape has changed over the years uh, but it's a very important job for our, our student athletes and uh, anxious to, to hear more about it. Let's start, though, a little bit, if we could, for our listeners, because whatever business you're in or profession you're in, family has a lot to do with your success. So maybe you could start with a little bit about uh, your family and uh, your your background, where you went to school, college, et cetera. Yeah, um, well, I, I grew up in, in a mill town, just like you did, um, from Lincoln. Um, Matanakuk Academy is, is where I graduated from high school. Um, you know, I had a, had a, a supportive family uh, in high school. My, my sisters cheered. Um, I had a, a brother that was close to my age um, that, that we played sports together. Um, and I think that really helped mold my love for, for athletics. Um, at a, at a young age, I had, you know, I had that brother that, um, we competed at everything. It didn't matter what it was. We competed. Um, sometimes it got ugly. Um, I think you probably can remember those days with you with, sure with the ups, the upstairs was rattling. Dad would come up, what the heck's going on? <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, at a young age really had a love for, um, I, I don't want to say, just sports. I just had a love of movement. Um, I was a kid that required a lot of, a lot of movement and had high energy, um, and, uh, had a supportive, supportive parents that way. Um, and then once I got into school, <clears throat> phys ed was, a, a just a, a wonderful release for me in the day. Um, I can remember having a hard time at, at times sitting in class for long periods of time. And I'm sure that that was the case for many, um, but phys ed was an outlet for me to really get out some energy and, um, express myself. And I had just wonderful, wonderful, um, physical education teachers all the way from elementary school with Phyllis Aiken, um, to my middle school teacher, Mike Silvato, and then my high school teachers, um, Lynn Haynes. And of course, you know, Dale Curry, um, oh, late yes. Dale, Tur- Dale Curry. And, um, you know, I, I just, I just remember, I just remember being in their classrooms, and thinking to myself, what a what a neat 
job this would be to be able to be with kids all day um, and teach movement and teach sport um, and just they were such a positive influence in my life. And I said, this is at a pretty young age, I can remember probably fifth grade or so thinking, this is what I want to do. Um, you know, we all have those, Rob, we all have those, those pockets of time where we want to be different things. You know, we want to be a pilot. We want to be a fireman. We, and I just, uh, once I, once I made that decision, I, I kind of never wavered. I don't remember ever having anything that, that, made me second guess what I wanted to do. And I just went with it and, um, graduated from Matanacook and, and, um, went to the university of Maine and, and got a physical education degree and a health concentration so that I could teach health as well. And, um, uh, graduated from there and, and I graduated December. So that gave me an in and, uh, Dave Gagne called me about four weeks after I graduated and um, said that um, one of our phys ed teachers is leaving at Bucksport, of course, Tom Sullivan, um, another legendary name in, mm-hmm. in high school football. And, and uh, Gonzo said, you, you ought to come down and apply um, and for the long-term position that we have. And so I did that, got my stuff together and um, went down and interviewed with Bob Harriman, your dad, uh, and Bruce Lindbergh. Um, and was fortunate enough to make an impression on them. And they offered me that position. And, um, and then of April of that year, I was, I was standing in the office talking to Cheryl Lacerdo and uh, he came in and put his arm around me and said, how would you like to work here permanently? And that's, that's how I got my start in Bucksport, Maine with my first teaching job and um, had just 10 wonderful years there um, with a lot of great people that helped mold me and, and teach me the right way to do things. And, how to connect with kids. And, um, that's what I've been doing for the last 23 years at Orono. Well, you know, and I, and I didn't, re- I didn't recall that. Uh, I guess I didn't realize that that was your first, um, your first teaching uh, job yeah. down there at Bucksport. I, re- yeah. I remembered when you were there and, uh, and you were coaching and, and that sort of thing. Uh, when you, you talk about those early formative years, you know, I always ask people that I have on the show, whether whether mentors or people that stood out that really sort of helped you, or you, you mentioned a couple of names, anyone yeah. in particular that really steered you in the direction that you ended up going? Oh, I mean, I I think I think Lynn Haynes and 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 Dale, um, Coach Curry. We I, you know, something Rob. It, up to the day that that Coach Curry passed, I'd never called him Dale. Even when I was an AD and working with him as an AD, I called him Coach Curry. I there was a long time. It was a long time before um, I could call any of my teachers by their first name, and still, for some of them, I still don't. I, it's just I don't know if it's a way you were brought up type of thing, the era that you were brought up with. Um, but it was just really hard for me to to call them by their first name, even as I got older. And and I hope they I hope they took that as a, as a show of respect. Um, um, I, you know, Dale Curry was, was certainly one. Mary Wilbur, um, was a math teacher for me. Um, and I got off to a bad start with her my freshman year. Um, I was, I was immature and, and, uh, just as a, you know, a 14, 15 year old boy. Um, and, um, so I didn't make a very, very good impression on her. And, and uh, I didn't treat her very well. And so I, I took a class from her my senior year and I was, um, my, my, my goal was to make it up to her and, and, um, 
she she took me in like nothing ever happened um, before, and um, she was wonderful to me, and she taught me so much. Uh, math was always a course that that I enjoyed. I loved working with numbers, and um, and she just made me she made me feel wanted in the classroom and important. And uh, and I always I always remembered that I I you know I try to I try to incorporate that. I still teach health, Rob. So. Um, you know, I, I teach freshman health and that's a pretty impressionable group. Sure. Is. You know, especially nowadays. I mean, it, you know, probably when, when you were in school and when I were in school, we had a few communities that we drew from, but nothing like today where kids have school choice, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, Orono is, is only half, it, it's, it's only half Orono residents and the other half is, is tuition kids. And, and that's probably the same for a lot of, a lot of schools in Maine now is that we rely so heavily on our, on our tuition students coming in, um, to support our budgets. But, um, I, you know, when I was at Matanawkook, I, they were there at Greg Reed. I only had for one year, but so impressionable on me and someone that I still stay in contact, contact with now. Um, Kendall Olson was a, was a football coach, um, that coached when I was a freshman and a sophomore, um, Roy Crawford was one of my track coaches. Joe Gallant was another one of my track coaches. I mean, all these people made, well, I, you know, I asked that question yeah. because I, as a, as a son of a, a coach and teacher and my sister has been a, t a teacher, was a teacher until she retired mm -hmm. just a year or so ago. And I asked this question of a lot of my, my guests because it, it really points out how profound the impact that those, those mentors, those teachers mm. have on so many of us when we're yeah. young and how it, how it really influences our, you know, our, our later years and what we do with our lives. I, you, you listen to my podcast with Andy Silvernail and Andy will, yeah. you know, in that he points out those people that really helped him along the way. And, and I think yeah. it's important for our listeners to hear this and hear, uh, and hopefully some, maybe some younger listeners that are, that are, will, will join in and, and uh, reflect on, on what they're doing right now in school. Yeah, having those adults that 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 um, take to you it, it, when you're when you're young and and so much to be influenced by, um, and make you feel wanted, uh, make you feel important, um, and believe in you. That's that's huge as a as an adolescent, you know, because it's you know we we don't we don't have hardly any of the temptations that these kids have now, right? I mean, I, right? You know, we can we can sit here and criticize our youth about how much technology, um, you know, really, um, consumes them. But Rob, I don't, I don't know what I would have been like with all this technology when I was in school. I don't know what I would have been like with a cell phone in my hand all the time with access to the world and, and social media. I, I have, I, I made mistakes just like, just like the kids are making now. And, and there are times, <laughs> there are times when you sit and you talk with some of these kids that need to be redirected and you have to discipline them and they leave the office and you have, all you can do is smile because that was you, mm -hmm. right? That was me. Um, you know, when I was 16 years old, I did the same stupid thing. Um, and I needed to be redirected. And, you know, I think you just fall on those things that were said to you at the time and hopefully they apply now and hopefully in some way that they, they, they stick, um, and that they learn by it and that, you know, someday they can look back on it and say that person helped me get through that point, and and that made a difference. 
And that's a, that's another great point, is you know, as you, as you mentioned, and, and even more so when I was younger, we had three TV stations. We didn't didn't have cell phones. We didn't you know, we didn't have yeah. all the all the things that really can can get in the way of uh, of kids uh, concentrating and doing the things that they need to do. There are enough. We had enough distractions, but to add all those other things in and what kids are bombarded with today, it it yeah. makes their life. More challenging, but it also makes the the lives, uh, the the jobs that you folks do, more challenging and rewarding. I'm sure as well. Oh sure, I mean every every job has its days, right? I mean mm-hmm. there there are there are times when you scratch your head in a stretch and go, you know, is there something else out there that I could be doing right now? But when it comes down to it, I mean, I the kids. You know, the, the kids suck the, the energy out of you every day and they pump it right back into you the next day. And, and it's, um, you know, for, for every bad for every bad moment, there's 10 good ones. And for every bad day, there's there's equally, equally good. And the, the, the positives far outweigh the negatives. I know that a lot of attention gets gets spent on, you know, those parents that tend to be negative or they're they're boy, over boisterous at, at games and, and whatnot. But boy, there's, there's so many more parents out there too, that are just supportive. Um, they're in it for the right reasons. They come and support their, their, um, kids and, and the teams and the community. Um, and those are what, you know, at the end of the day, those are the, those are the people that you lean on and, and, um, and go to, um, you know, when you need to. It, we're going to, we're going to get there. I wrote that down and, and, in a question later on, we'll talk uh, about some of those those areas uh, I wrote down as challenges, but there are also rewards mm-hmm. with them. When you when you got into athletic administration, I mean, a lot of people think that everybody is a coach that becomes an AD, and probably in most cases that's true. Can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit about your your coaching experience before you got into uh, the AD world? Yeah, I mean, I started I, I started coaching with um, with Ken Libby at Matanaka Academy. I think my junior year in college, and uh, with football, um, and then uh, did my student teaching at Orono and coached with Bob Lucy there, um, and had a, another wonderful experience there. And there's two um, again, two great coaches right there. Yeah, no no question. I mean, Hall of Fame coaches, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, and then and then after that. Um, of course I, I came in contact with, while I was coaching with <clears throat> coach Lucy, I came in contact with David Paul, um, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, worked with him. Um, and then got my job at, I got my job at, at Bucksport and, you know, got a chance to coach with my father-in-law, Ivan Braun and Joel Sankey, um, and, uh, Larry Deans and Peter Wally. And, um, you know, just, you know, I'll be eternally grateful to your dad, um, for, for giving me the opportunity and to coach when I was young. Um, you know, I became a varsity coach at the age of 20, I think it was 25 or 26. And so that's fairly young, um, you know, to, to, to get into that profession as a varsity coach and you can be pretty vulnerable and, you know, you could have that group of parents that kind of licking their chops going fresh meat, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, and, and, um, but, but I, I, I felt like at the time that I was, I was ready and I embraced that. Um, I felt my, my, my background in playing and my background and who I learned from and coaching and how to, to deal with kids. But I, I certainly made, certainly made mistake and mistakes, just like all young coaches do. I, I think one of the things, Rob, that I, that I thought at a young age is that, um, that you had to do everything, 
you know, you, you to delegate was not something that I was very good at at the time. Um, and, uh, I probably took on a lot more than, than what I should have or what I was capable of at, at that time. Um, and that, and that sometimes took away from, you know, what was really important and, and really the important thing was those developing those relationships with the kids. Um, and so I, I learned from that. Um, it was a great lesson to learn. And I think, uh, you know, anybody that, that has had success and anybody that has gone through failures would tell you that, um, you learn a lot more from failure than you do success. And, and, um, and I learned some lessons there that I think uh, that I really applied to when I became an athletic administrator and that I could share those types of um, experiences with, with the coaches that I was trying to mentor at that time. And I think that that's a great segue into, you know, think, thinking about the skill set or the core competencies that an athletic director needs. And, you know, I think about my own, my dad's experience and having been a coach in, in a small town, I can remember as a kid being on the sidelines and listening to the fans yell at, at him and yell about him and talk about him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, those sorts of things. But I think it, as you said, you, you know, you learn, you learn from your mistakes. It's the only way you can grow in any, anything is to learn and, yeah. and, and, uh, grow, and grow from those and, and moving into the next step in a different direction. But what, when you got into the athletic director role, what did you bring with you from your coaching experience that, uh, that you could share from anybody else for anybody else wanting to get into that business? Well, I think the first thing that you have to have is, is great organizational skills because there's just, it's such an attention to detail job. Um, there's, you've got to be a multitasker. Um, there's just so many things going on. There's no day that's like the other. Um, you know, you can, you can have your list of things to do starting the day and one phone call can just derail everything. Um, or, or, uh, you know, one, can I talk to you for a minute? Because as you know, Bob, it's never a minute. Can I talk to you for a minute? Do you have a minute? It's never a minute. Um, but I think what you have to be is you have to be available, um, accessible. Um, you have to let people know that, that, uh, you know, at any time that they're in need that you're there for them. And it may not be, it, you may not be able to immediately take care of it, but you have to at least make them feel like that, you know, when you're, you know, when you're needed and, um, this is a seven day a week job. I mean, I, it's, it sure you, is. you're always, it, I mean, and, and I don't mean that in a sense that you have events all seven days, but you're always, you always want to be available. So, I mean, you're always on call. Um, and, and, uh, and the one thing that I, that I try to do, and I wish I could do this better is I wish I could, I wish I could just turn off, um, you know, and completely step away from it, but it's really, really hard because, that's one thing that you want to be for your coaches is there for them and, um, and your students and your faculty and whatever it is, leadership role that you're in. I think one of the things that resonated with me, with your conversation with Andrew, with Andy was, was being in, in the role of leadership is really being a servant. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I just, I, that just, that just made so much sense to me when he made that comment, because, I always want to be available for them. I, I think the worst thing that you could have said about you as a leader is that they're unapproachable or they're not available. They're never there when I need them. And I mean, I, I don't want my own children to say that as a parent, let alone, um, you know, let alone my coaches or, or, you know, the student athletes. So, um, you know, I, I certainly think those are, those are big key elements. And I think probably the, the, the biggest skill that you need um, is one that sometimes gets overlooked is you just need to be a really good listener. Um, because there's going to be a lot of things 
thrown at you and, and a lot of ideas and a lot of concerns, a lot of differences of opinions. And I think before you can before you can counter anything, I think you need to, to take a step back and listen to people's concerns first um, before responding. And how do you, how do you handle coaches uh, from the standpoint of maybe something happened, maybe it hasn't happened in your, in your tenure there, but maybe something happened that the coach didn't handle things quite right, either publicly or, or privately with a kid, maybe mm-hmm. you know, the discipline, or got a complaint here complaint that I can think of some, some high profile things that my dad had to handle. Um, yeah. but how, how do you handle that as a leader with another leader? Well, I mean, I, I think the first thing that I try to tell our coaches is that I'm, I'm, I will support you. Um, and that doesn't always mean that I'll agree with you. Um, I, I, I think sometimes that gets lost is, is that support means that you agree and it doesn't, it's not to me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I tell my coaches, don't do anything that I can't support you on. So, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of, uh, you know, language. Um, I feel like you can get your point across in so many different ways. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of screaming and yelling and, um, unless it's because it's part of your enthusiasm, but I just think there's so many different ways to motivate kids. And, and really the, the essence of coaching is, is finding what makes each kid tick. Um, you know, and, and it's kind of like the term differentiation in education. Now it's not, it's not a, it's not a roll the ball out and it's not a cookie cutter thing. It's these kids learn in so many different ways. And some of them learn by, by visual, some of them learn auditory, some of them, you know, they, you just have to find what works best. And it's really a system of trial and error. Um, and, and so I, I, I spend a, I spend a lot of time with my coaches on that. Um, I, I think in a difficult situation, you just have to be consistent and you have to be fair. Um, and again, you, you, I want to, I want to support our kids. Um, and I want to support our coaches. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to just take us, you have to take a stand and take a side and, um, you know, if a coach makes a mistake, you work with them. Um, you, you make sure that you take it up with them in an evaluative piece um, so that you have that and you provide them, um, you know, you provide them a plan to get better. And that's really what we all try to do every day. And, and we all make mistakes. And obviously, if it's a serious enough mistake, then then you may have to remove them. Um, but you always let them know that you're there for them and, and um, you know, you're there to, to try to help them. And, and hopefully they'll understand that. Um, in the long run. That's uh, outstanding. And, and how many, how many sports are there at, at Orono right now? We have 20 varsity sports. Right. And, and how many coaches are there? Tw- there probably multiple. We have, co- I have, multiple I have sports. a staff. Yeah. I have a, I have a staff of 46 coaches, 46 coaches. Yeah. It's amazing. When you think about, Oh, well, I think about when I was a kid and you know, at Bucksport, we had uh, very few <laughs> sports. So obviously back those days, women's sports weren't, weren't as, as, as big as they right. are. And, and thankfully they are, um, now, but for that's, that's a lot, a lot of teams. In, it's, yeah. A lot of teams. And for a school that only has 340 kids, I right. mean, we, you know, I mean, we really spread ourselves out pretty, pretty well and pretty, you know, pretty thin. I think some of the old guard would say that we have too many and, and, uh, and whatnot, but I, and nowadays with all the distractions and all the things that kids could be doing that aren't productive, the more we can keep them busy, the better. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you just, uh, Orno, I just I, I followed the football team this year. 
obviously growing up in the little tent conference, Orono was, was, you know, they, they were a fixture. Orono has always been a fixture in that, in that league. And, uh, you, you ran into some uh, challenges over the, with numbers over the last few mm. years. Can you talk a little bit about the, the challenge difficulty of going from, uh, going to eight man football? I know that was a, a hard decision, but, but it looks to me like it was the right decision from afar. And, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we, we, um, you know, we've had a couple of pockets where we've, where we've kind of fallen on some hard times. I mean, um, it was in the late nineties, early two thousands that we went through a, a, a span. Um, you know, Rob football is a numbers game, mm-hmm. you know, it's a game Absolutely. of attrition and, uh, you know, if, if, if you've got to have, you've got to have numbers to support not only your varsity program, but you've got to have numbers to support your developmental program too, which is a, right. which is a JV level. And when you played, there was probably a freshman level as well. That's and, right. um, you know, and, and soccer probably wasn't a, 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 an option when, when you were in high school. So, um, you know, with us, uh, you know, we graduated that class with Keenan Collette and Jackson Coots and that mm-hmm. group, just a very Great. decorated <laughs> yeah. group. Yeah. And not only that, you know, people, people probably don't realize this, but, but the girls in that senior class won twice as many state championships, um, is, as the boys did. Um, oh, I and did, so I didn't realize it was that. just a, it was a, it was a class. We had 11 athletes from that class go to division one athletics. Um, amazing. it was just amazing for a school our size to have that many, many athletes, um, that were, were at that level. Um, and, and so we knew when we graduated that class that we were going to be real thin. We were going to come up on some hard times. And so we went, oh, and we went, oh, and nine the year after we were not competitive. Um, and our numbers were low and we, 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 Bobby and I, and, and, um, our superintendent were having conversations in the off season about, you know, we've got to put these kids in a safe, you know, a safe position here. And so, we made the hard decision the next year to play a JV schedule. Um, we just felt like we, we couldn't put these kids. We had a lot of freshmen and sophomores that were just not developed physically. And we just didn't feel like putting them in a varsity situation was the right thing to do. It was very disappointing to our seniors. Um, but, but we, we, we did what we felt was the right thing to do, which was, was safety first. And, um, um, and it was a tough decision. I mean, as, as you know, Orno's got a long-standing tradition in football, and um, it was a risk, but it was a risk that we felt we had to make and take. And and um, so we did that. And then, of course, the pandemic year came up, and we played uh, we played flag football. And uh, and then our first year, and then after that, we decided with our numbers being low and and our kids not getting a chance to play JV games, we were losing kids. Um, because what was happening was that we'd play a varsity game, we'd get pounded so bad and we'd get kids hurt. And then we'd have to cancel the JV game on Monday because we just didn't have enough bodies. Um, and so now you're asking your younger kids to come out and practice all week against the varsity kids and then get no playing time. Um, and if it was playing time, it was mop up time, right? It was, you're getting put into a game when it's 50 to nothing and, you know, and it's not as meaningful for the younger kids. So we were losing kids and the eight man, um, the eight man option came up and um, once again, we long discussions, got the community involved, took input from our kids, did a lot of research on what eight man football is and looks like across the country and just decided that, you know, the only way to get the numbers back is, is to make sure that we can, 
um, guarantee that our younger kids get a chance to develop too. And so we went eight man the first year. Uh, last year we we got pounded. Um, I think our average margin of loss was almost 40 points. Um, so we went another 0 for season. So we hadn't won a game in three years. And um, this year starts and and I, I, I talked with some media and they asked the question, you know, you think you guys will be better? And I said, well, we haven't won a game in three years, so I don't know what better looks like, but I hope so. <laughs> um, and uh, we came out, we beat uh, what ended up being a pretty good, by the end of the season, what being a pretty competitive Holton team and, and we pounded them pretty good. And I was like, okay. Um, and then, uh, and then we lost the Stearns. We were up 30 to six going into the fourth quarter and, and we kind of, lost our way and ended up losing with half a minute to go 34 30 against the team that had gone to the, the championship game the year before and was one of the favorites. And I think that's when our kids really felt like, you know, as disappointing of a loss as it was, I think our kids really felt like, okay, all right, um, we can compete. And from that point on, um, really the, the stinker of the game was Bucksport really put it to us. Um, down there during their homecoming and it was a big night for them it was their hall of fame induction ceremony that a great crowd and uh, we went down and really just didn't play well and they made us not play well and um, and from that point on we we kind of just started to gel and um, we got to the playoffs and and got a chance to make amends for uh, three teams that beat us during the mm-hmm. regular season and we they, the kids the kids labeled it the redemption tour um, that was their, that was their, mo- uh, their motto going into the playoffs is that, you know, if we can make a run, we're going to, we're going to get a chance to, to redeem ourselves against three teams that gave us losses during the season. And, and that's what they did. Uh, it was just a, a fantastic run through the playoffs. And, outstanding, outstanding yeah. season. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about the, the eight man and I, and I get it, I get, you know, the, a lot of people that, that aren't really in the middle of everything and having to make those decisions. And that's what sets leaders apart is is you're in the arena you 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 have to make the decisions you have to weigh all those sorts of things where people on the outside only look at it from one perspective generally one perspective and i had talked to jack cosgrove probably my old teammate uh probably oh i think i talked to maybe 10 or more years ago about eight man football and he was a huge proponent of of schools in maine if they needed to go that direction it, yep. As you said, you know it's been around for a long time in different parts of the country, and yeah, uh, you you guys yeah. you guys made the tough decision, and you you did the right thing, and, and for the benefit of of the kids. So I, well, and and I want to commend you know you and your community too, because I mean you know you guys had this you guys right. faced this, the same issue, right? Rich tradition, Bucksport, you know, football town. Um, regardless of what people want to think and whatever, it's it's a it's known for a football town and. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been able to stay strong with the closure of the mill. Um, and that's not something that's always easily done, you know, and, right. and when you lose a, when you lose a major business like that, that's, that's embedded into your community for decades and decades and decades, um, that it, the, the mill is, is another community in its own. Um, and growing up in a mill town, like I did, I, that was the, the talk of the, the talk of the mill was Friday night football. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and people were passionate about it. And so that's one of the things that you, that you have to battle is the tradition of your school. But, um, the demographics have changed. Times have changed. Um, kids are, are being pulled in so many different directions. Now there are more kids now working than ever before. 
and for some because they want to and some because they have to. Um, and, uh, you know, so there's no question in my mind that that we made the right decision. And it's not because of where we are now. We made the right decision. Um, and uh, I'm just happy for the kids that they stuck with it and they believed in it. And now they're it's kind of paying off for them. Yeah. And I, and I think for this, this podcast, the podcasts that I've done have, have been focused a lot on leaders and leadership. And, and that's, I just want to, to make sure that that stands out. These are the types of decisions that leaders make and, and they're not, they're not easy. They're, they're difficult decisions, but leaders make them. And, and uh, those of those are the folks that uh, the folks that don't, get into the the leadership positions maybe ought to even if it's a a, a volunteer situation you want to be a leader put yourself out there and and put yourself in the arena in these things these things (laughs) yeah that's so my grandfather said um before he passed that you know he always said that that if you're making decisions that everyone agrees with all the time they're probably not the right decisions (laughs) that's right um you know so (laughs) great advice um, yeah. And, and I mean, that, that, that has stuck with me because it, it, as you know, with your dad um, and, and you were in a lot of leadership roles too, Rob, is, is that there's not many decisions where you're going to please everybody. I can't even make a decision when my kids were growing up. I couldn't even make a decision in my own home that pleased all four of them. So well, we always say uh, leadership is about, it's not about black and white. It's operating in the gray. And that's, that's yeah. hard for, for some people. You really yeah. do. You operate, operate in the gray a lot. When we talk about yeah. challenges, we, I think we've we've kind of covered some of the challenges, but where where do you spend the most of your of your time? Uh, you know, I wrote down scheduling, officials, academic and discipline, parents, facilities, funding. Are those <laughs> what sorts of does that cover the bulk of them, or where do you yeah, spend? Yeah, I mean, most I, of your time? I, it's like you it's like you had a dad as an AD. <laughs> you wrote everything. <laughs> um, I yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's like I said, each day is is different. Um, you know, right now it's, it, you know, I'm wrapping up and, and helping Bobby get ready for, for a football banquet. That's going to be a celebration and want to make sure that, that they, that they have a, everything that they need for that after just a a really wonderful season. And, and then at the same time, um, you know, we're day one into the winter sports season and, and you've really just got to really just got to be able to divide your tension up you know, in a lot of different areas. And, and, um, you know, uh, it's all of those things. It's, it's one day it could be one thing. I, I, I will say this is that, you know, the difference between my job and the interview that you did with Blake is that the collegiate athletic director's main focus is fundraising, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, yes. it's, it's getting out there, it's shaking hands, it's meeting with booster clubs, it's connecting with alumni. It's, it's, everything is about, bringing dollars into, into your university to help grow your facilities and, and stay up with the Joneses. Um, and in, and in the high school, I think high school ranks, you, you really get a chance to spend a lot of time with the kids and a lot of time with the coaches. And, um, and to me, that's, that's the beauty of the job is just the, it's the relationship piece. Um, and, uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, trade that for for anything um it's a hectic lifestyle but um it's what keeps you going yeah that's that's it's the energy right it's what feeds the energy those sorts of things 
Now, yeah. you also, Mike, you uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the, are you the Little Ten Conference Commissioner? I am, so. yep. Commissioner and Treasurer and Secretary and <laughs> stats, stats guy. Well, you yeah. also, yeah. I want to make sure everybody who's not aware, uh, you you and, uh, what was it? Um, My brother-in-law. Your brother-in-law, Ian, Ian right, yeah. wrote the book on the history the seminal book on the, the history of the Little Ten. I mean, that it, it is a binder. It is just extraordinary <laughs> what you did uh, with that. Uh, can you talk just a little bit about that book? Yeah, that was so. Um, Ian is a huge history buff, um, and I and I enjoy history, but I'm more of a I'm more of a math guy, and so I love I love statistical information. And even as a kid growing up, I I, I don't know if you've ever heard of stratomatic baseball and stratomatic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I grew up playing ad nauseum, and I binders and index cards full of stats, and would play full seasons and spend. I would have sleepovers at my house where we would play stratomatic baseball from like eight o'clock at night till eight o'clock in the morning. And, um, you know, mom would make food for us. And, uh, I just, I loved that part of it. So we were just talking, it must've been at a Thanksgiving or so we were just talking about, you know, just the, the history of the LTC and we were mentioning some great names and whatnot. And, so we just started it out as a, as a, you know, history of school against opponents, Bucksport versus all the LTC opponents and points for and points against. And, and, uh, and we were, we were thinking about putting it in some type of publishing, but we, we kind of looked at each other and said, you know, not many people are, you know, you're, you're stat people, but it's not very, not very, you know, exciting. What if we were to maybe do some, some interviews with some, some people and start doing that. So, you know, here we go. I mean, we start making a list of, of, you know, coaches in the league and what, you know, and, and, uh, and then we wanted to do some special interest things that, you know, family types of things. And then the historic, this historical standpoint from all the schools. And before you know it, it just snowballed into this, what was going to be like maybe a year and a year and a half project into like a 10 year project. <laughs> we literally worked on we worked on it intensely at times and off and on at times for about a decade and lo and behold we end up with like a 700 page document that um we had published and it's amazing um, it's amazing yeah it it was a certainly a labor love um I referred so to it. Many, I referred yeah. to it back. I was introducing Mike Grindle for the Bucksport Hall of Fame. A line, uh, my, one of my high school teammates, a oh, yeah. fantastic linebacker, and I yeah, yeah. wanted to go back and find out uh, he was part of one of the all-decade teams uh, as a linebacker. Yeah. So, yeah, and and how that became is is that we we gathered. Um, you know, the hall of fame coaches from each decade. And we got them in a room at, at, uh, at old town high school on a Sunday morning and we split them up into decades. We had a fifties a group, a sixties group, a seventies group, um, an eighties group and a nineties group. And, uh, we had about 15 or 16 long times, highly successful coaches there. And we laid out all of the, all of the material and names and they just went to work and it took about six hours of straight work. We fed them um, to come up with that. Link. And, and you know what? It's one of those things, 
Rob, that's arbitrary, right? You, it's going gonna, it's gonna to create conversation and argument. Oh, what do you mean? How come this guy wasn't on it? What? But that's exactly why you do those types of things, right? Because it generates it, exactly. great conversation. Yeah. You know, and, and, uh, now, do you the, see, the, uh, is there, is there a, uh, a next edition on the- <laughs> <laughs> No, no. I, so I will say this though, up until eight man, I did keep track of all of the LTC records. I updated them, kept track of all the coaching records, all of the school records. So all of those things are up to date as of three years ago before the pandemic. Um, but obviously now we're in a different era. That's so, so cool. you know, you can't. Yeah. That you can't compare eight man to eleven man, so all of those eleven man records will that are that are pre, they'll all stand forever now, unless you know we ever go back to eleven man. But now my son Chase still holds the, the did he he get the all time passing record? I think he did, and I think well, he broke Jackson um, Coots' record, didn't he? Yes, he he ended up breaking Jackson's record, and and uh, I think it was either the next year or the year after. I think both of them. I think Jackson broke a record maybe two years after it was previously set. And then that's when, you know, I mean, for, for, for the longest time, Rob, the, the LTC, just like most high school football teams were, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust, right? right. It was just, you just pounded the rock. You just ran the football and imposed your will um, and played great defense. And, and um, you know, and then things started to evolve and, and like the, the mid, the early to mid nineties, I think, I can, if I can remember correctly, it was, it was Houston um, when they had Andre Ware. Right. Um, really started to introduce like the, the the wildcat and going exclusively from the shotgun because I mean Dallas did it, you know, in the NFL for, for a number of years and and uh, but the passing game started to evolve, um, and then now obviously the athletes are are just really skilled and. Um, it's a whole different, whole different world. It is. And, and, you know, if you watch any eight man football, I think it's a much more exciting game to watch. It's a little bit more wide open and it really stresses, um, the importance of open field tackling because there's just, um, even though the field is narrower, um, there's still a, there's still room to roam. And I think that's, that's why you see a lot of schools now putting their best athlete at quarterback because, um, and, and not that that didn't happen before, but I think it eight man really accentuates that now the importance to have that great athlete at quarterback because you can you can really dictate a game with it. Absolutely. Well, if you as we get close to the end, uh, I, a couple couple more questions I wanted. One was was if you could. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Maybe a few of the highlights of your career. If you, as a as a AD and a coach, if you could maybe give me five three to five highlights that stand out? Um, I think as a, I think as a, as a coach, my, my first proud moment was my first girls varsity team um, at Bucksport. Um, You know, we had taken the girls program had not been very successful for, for a lot of years. I mean, obviously the boys program has got such a rich tradition down there as well. Um, you know, you were part of that and, uh, the, the boys program was much more decorated than the girls program. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we had, a we had a young lady by the name of Christy Grover bless us as a freshman. And, uh, um, she was certainly special and, but that, that team with Christy, Christy Grover and Christina Wheeler and Christy Jellison and, um, and Rochelle Downs, um, 
you know, just it was Maddie Lord who just was inducted into mm-hmm. the Hall of Fame down there this year. Um, you know, Kristen Reedy, um, you know, rest her soul, passed away to cancer, was such an important part of that team for us. Um, you know, so I, it, that was a special team for me because that was my first year. You know, someone trusted me enough to to give me the reins as a varsity coach at a young age. And um, those kids were so special. And, and I still keep keep tabs on them. Um, you know, uh, it's wonderful to see, uh, you know, Pop doing so well. Kara's in the VZ area. Um, I just went out to, to, to dinner last week with Jana Richards, Jana Grant now. Um, so I, those Bucksport years for me, Rob, were were so special. I, I just, I'll always be indebted um, to Bucksport because they just embraced me um, as a mill kid from Lincoln. And I think I probably, it's probably why things went so well for me because I just, I was a mill boy. I was a mill kid growing up and I just related to, to that, to that town so well. Very similar. culture. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, no question. Um, and uh, you know, I, I think just uh, you know, Coaching with coach, getting a chance to coach with Joel Sankey um, was was a highlight um, for me. He he just taught me so much about things other than just sport, and I and that's the beauty of what sports do, right? They they it's it's a just a microcosm of of life and what everything that that has to offer. And there's so many things that are transferable, and that's what you try to teach the kids. And getting to Orono, I think. Um, I think some of the highlights uh, was was uh, there was a number of years where we were getting we were getting to the the dance, but we we couldn't win it, um, and certainly didn't want to put all the eggs in the basket of how that's measuring success. But um, finally winning, finally seeing our kids win a, a state championship was a was a pretty awesome thing. Um, There's a lot of emotion there because I, uh, you know, we'd been so close in so many different sports. Um, up to that point and then to finally get a chance to see those kids, you know, be on the other side of it and celebrate. And um, um, I think all the motorcades that we do have created memories uh, that the one that sticks out is certainly when we, when we cooperated and came together with old town Orono for our hockey team. Um, when we, when we won the state championship against Greeley in in overtime um, that motorcade coming through two towns was pretty awesome. Um, it was enormous and to see two communities that you know um <laughs> didn't always get along right uh, um be able to to put things aside for a group of kids to achieve something that they've always wanted to achieve was pretty was pretty special and um and i i you know those are just some of the things i i just think the relationships that that i've i've made with kids and coaches and faculty members are um I'll always, I'll always cherish. And that's, you started the hall of fame up there, didn't you? As, as well, yeah. The, yeah. We're going to induct our, yeah, we're going to induct our 14th class. Um, this winter, December 17th, we're going to induct an all female class. We are commemorating the, the 50th anniversary of title nine. Oh, um, so wonderful. our committee is inducting of, uh, an all female class. Um, we've pretty much got all female escorts, female presenters, uh, Gina tool is going to, is going to be our master of ceremonies. So we're really, we're really going to celebrate the importance of, of female sport, um, with this, with this class. That we're Gina gonna is a special person. She is just sure she's is. <laughs> Dr. Gina, right? She's Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I, Rob, I was, I was just with her today at one o'clock, handed her over the scripts for all the bios and everything. Um, so that she could familiarize herself with it and be ready. But, 
I mean, I, I Dave Paul and I got together and said, who could we who could we have that would be an influential female to to do our master of ceremony for this year? Um, and obviously someone who would be comfortable in in um, public speaking. And Dave Paul said Gina Tool, and I was like, brilliant, Perfect. brilliant. I mean, Perfect. and uh, and she's looking, she's really looking forward to it. And I know she's going to do a great job for what us. What a great theme! What a great great event it's going to be. Yeah, well, we're looking well, forward we, to it. Uh, as we end, one final question: Just uh, what advice would you give to one of your younger teachers or somebody that? is aspiring to, to fill your shoes or, or being an uh, athletic administrator at some point in the future? Well, I mean, you made it, you, you alluded to it a little bit earlier about, you know, most athletic directors um, coach before they become um, an administrative role. And, and I really, I think that's the way it is in education. I, I think your best, I think your best principals and assistant principals were teachers first, because I really think that you have to be able to relate to that teacher in the classroom um, and know what the challenges are and, and be able to be supportive. Um, and I, I feel the same way with an athletic administration. It, it's There are so many times, um, Rob, when I try to put myself in a coach's position before making a decision, because I know that they look at things a little bit differently than I would as an administrator. And so, you know, I it, it, it just comes down to, it just comes down to, um, you know, getting some uh, some experience in the coaching ranks um, and teaching um, before you before you take on that administrative role. And then after that, it's, you know, it's it's just mentoring. It's it's uh, stealing Andrew's line. It's it's being a servant for them and being available for them. And and um, that is something that I've that I hope I've I've done for our coaches. Um, I. You know they've they've entrusted me with this title for 23 years in Orono, and um, you know I, I I can't think of a I can't think of a better um, position to be in. Um, it comes with a great deal of responsibility, something that I don't take for granted. Um, and every decision that I make, I I want to make sure that I make it in the best interest of our of our kids and our community, and certainly with respect to the tradition that Orono has. I I want to make our alumni proud. Well, that's a, that's a great way to, to finish up, Mike. Can I, you, you really summed up and uh, the concept of servant leader certainly fits you. And, and it's a great lesson for all of those listening who hope to be in any leadership position. But in this case, those that want to be athletic administrators, have empathy, be a, a servant leader, and, and you'll go far. Well, I hey, we've made it. We've made it through a pandemic, so we can make it through anything. We now. have, you know, I didn't get into the pandemic, but I know without even talking about that, that was a challenge uh, for you yeah. as it was for for all of us in leadership positions at that time. But I want to thank you for not only coming in tonight, uh, but also for being a servant, being a community public leader, taking on a, a job and a role that is, is so challenging and and teachers and, and everybody administration, I don't think we give them enough credit. I, I get thanked all the time for being a veteran and we need to thank her. We need to thank our teachers and, and administrators on a continuous basis as well. So thank you for what you do. Well, thank you for those kind words, Rob. I appreciate it. And thanks for being a class act and, and still leading the little 10 conference. Uh, it's near hope it's near and dear to, to my heart and, and always has been. And, uh, and I look forward to joining you at the banquet in a couple of weeks to, to give yeah. out the Bob yep. Carmichael award. Absolutely. I look forward to it. 
Well, thank you for listening. I hope you'll all join me again in the near future for another Mainly Matters podcast. We'll be back with you soon. Thank you.